So, we're continuing our series, The Deadly Seven, where we're talking about overcoming the seven deadly sins in our life. So here's my question for you. How are you doing? How are you doing? Good, good. Anyone feeling hot? Anyone bothered? Hungry? How about irritated? Anyone irritated? How about frustrated? Is there anyone frustration in the room? We're feeling frustration? Yeah, at the tech table. How about uh, anyone seen red? Or red in the face? I think it's interesting all the different phrases, metaphors, colloquialisms that we have around anger, right? We hulk out, uh, rage, right? We, we have all these different phrases that we use. Maybe if we actually say what's happening, then we have to deal with it. I'm just wondering if we kind of hide it in that way. You know, there are many types of anger. And we had a series on anger, so if you want to know more about anger, if you're really like, I want to know more about anger. I don't know who says that, but maybe you do. I did that one time. Uh, I, we did a series on it, and I can pass it on to you. But today we are going to talk about the anger that gets us in trouble. Right? That uh, the anger that comes when we don't get our way or we get hurt and we react. You know, the anger that you get when you're driving and that person does that thing. And whether we shout the obscenities out the window or as one lady did to my mother on her way to church, hanging out the window from her waist, shaking our, her fist at us. Funny enough, she was sitting two rows in front of us at church once we got there. <laughs> uh, you know, it happens. Or maybe when we're with our kids and you're just thinking, why did I have these creatures? Or maybe with your spouse when you're thinking, why did I invite this creature into my life? These moments... There's moments when people hurt you and all you want to do is either lash back or lash out. And in these times, I think we need to look at the wisdom in the scriptures. And the best place for that is in the book of Proverbs. And it says, An angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. So, I think... In order for us to really get what anger is all about, we need to understand what it's all about. Mark Twain said, anger is the acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured. So think of how devastating anger can be to other people. It is that much more devastating to us. And while we do need to limit the effects that our anger has on other people, if our body is the temple of God, the temple where God lives, then we need to take seriously how our anger affects us, how it can damage our life and limit what God can do in us. And if there's anything that limits what God can do in us and through us, I think we need to take it seriously. 
Because when it is about anger, it is about control. We want to control the situation. And if you don't believe me, think about your driving, right? Why do we get angry at the person when we're driving? Because they are not doing what they want. They're either driving too slow, too fast, not obeying the rules, or they are obeying the rules. Like, whatever it is, they are doing something we don't want them to do. Or customer service. You're like, just put the right person on the phone. Just do what I want you to do. This is an easy fix in my mind. Why are you making it difficult? Do what I want. Or in relationships, whether our spouse, our kids, our friends, we get angry because they are not doing what we want them to do. Or parents, right? They're not shaking their heads. They're smart. They, they never get mad at their parents, do you, kids? <laughs> we won't put you on the spot. You know, if everyone did exactly what you wanted, you would never... You, you would never get angry because they were, everyone's doing what you wanted. But that is not what happens. Now, some of us have short fuses. Some of us are more patient. Some of us express it loud, and some have a quiet internal voice. But no matter who we are, we all have to deal with anger in some respects. Now, control is funny. Because we all want it, but rarely do any of us ever have it. Maybe that's why we want it so bad. Uh, Russell Brand says, there is only one human being I'm in control of, and that is me. And that is where the effort must be concentrated. So as soon as you try to control a situation or people, you enter into a maddening game. Because you cannot control another person. Sure, we could be loud enough or scary enough to cause anyone to do anything that we want, but let's not confuse ourselves. We are not actually controlling them. Everyone always has a choice. Every revolution is begun by people who were thought to be under someone's control. And they said, We're not going to take it. No, we're not. Any Twisted Sister fans in here? Twisted Sister? Yes, we see one nod. Uh, no one else is a fan. But you should look that up. Good music videos. Great hair and makeup. Uh, maybe not. But what you can control is you. What you can control is you, how you prepare. What you can control is how you respond. That's what we can control in our life. In some respects, we can also control how we think. We can control what our thoughts stay on. Sure, things pop into our head and feelings come, but many of those things can be controlled by us. But we cannot control others. When we do, when we try to, this is the fullest expression of idolatry. When we worship something other than God, because we become the God, because they should do what we want. And what gods do? Gods end up controlling, right? The people say, we want 
Good weather. So we worship the God of weather. We want good crops. So we worship the God of crops. The whole point is that we need to yield to the one true God who doesn't control but lovingly helps us forward. And I think this is why it's so vitally important to yield to the kingship of Jesus in our life. Yield our life to Jesus. Because Check, check, check. Check, check, check. We're having sound. If it's not one problem, it's another problem. And think all the problems we've had this week, today, it's still better than the last two weeks live. So, you know, we're at least going up. But after all that equipment sits in the storage for 10 months, (laughs) got to learn how to use some of it again. And some of it just doesn't work the same. All right. So I think we need to know the underlying issue of why we get angry. Because when we respond to someone in angry, when we get angry, it is not what someone did. That is not what um, causes you to feel angry. What causes you to feel angry is that you are not in control of the situation. So the first key to addressing our anger in our life is admitting that we want control. Anyone here, do we have any honest people? Anybody want control? Just me. Okay, I want control, all right? I don't know if it hasn't been clear yet. I do. I want control. Control's great, right? And so we need to admit that we need, that we want that, even though it's not healthy. We need to admit that we want to be the kings and queens of our lives instead of Christ. Now, Jesus recognizes this in us, and Jesus warns us about it. He talk, he's talking to a group of people who are patting themselves on the back, saying, you know what, I didn't murder. Meanwhile, they're ignoring the fact that they get angry. All right? And so Jesus then lays out some teaching. A teaching about us driving. Teaching about us on the phone with customer service. Us at the DMV. Us talking to our employers. It's amazing the insight. So Matthew records this. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. All right, let's unpack this. All right, so brother and sister. Do what he's talking about? He's talking about anyone and everyone, all right? So let's get that. So if you're talking, Jesus is saying this to to everyone and about everyone. Essentially, to quote the Sledge Sisters, we are family. Okay, good. No one ever sings along with me, and it kind of hurts my feelings. All right. Now, you're saying, well, lucky for me, I haven't said raka to anyone. 
Phew, right? Have you ever been driving and you're just like, Raka, Raka, Raka? Of course not. But let's, let's think about this word Raka. This word Raka is Aramaic. And it means contempt. So you could translate this, some translate this word as empty head. All right? So saying empty head. And so we could look at this literally and say, well, I haven't called anyone empty head. Well, maybe you have. There's times I want to call people empty head. But we need to see the spirit of it. This is calling anyone a name. All right? Calling someone names. So if you're driving and you're like, idiot. Right? You're saying raka. Right? You dumb dumb. Really, it's any calling someone a name to hurt or offend them. Whether we say it out loud or just in our heads, this is what we are doing. We are saying raka. We are saying you fool. And Jesus says that when we utter these words, we subject ourselves to judgment. And then he says, and the fire of hell. Now that's scary. Now, I think we need to quote, paraphrase maybe, Aningo Montoya, who said, I do not think that means what you think it means. From the greatest movie of all time, directed by Rob Reiner, Princess Bride. Yes, this is saying that you are held accountable. Yes, there is a sense of judgment. But that word hell, that, that word, when you, when you hear that word, what you picture in your mind is actually never in the Bible, that word, okay? Sorry to burst maybe some of your bubbles. But how we think of it is never in the Bible. That word hell there is the word Gehenna. And Gehenna is an actual place. The history of it is that in Way back in the Old Testament times, it was the place where the Israelites would sacrifice babies to pagan gods, okay? So it came to where they would do this stuff. Then later, it became a dump. And so while Jesus is talking in this time period, it's literally the dump where the wild dogs would hang out and gnash their teeth, uh, it's where the rejected were kind of cast out of the city sent. It's where they, many of them had to live and, you know, find, find shelter in the dump. They were rejected, cast out into that place. And then later in 70 AD, it was the place where the Romans, after the revolution of the Jewish people, when they rose up, it's where the Romans dumped the bodies of those who, in Jerusalem. So this is the place that he's saying. He, he's saying that you will be cast out. Jesus here is not talking about eternity. He's saying that you need to take hold of your anger because there are consequences right here on earth. Now, this is not to say that we are not accountable to God. He's not saying that. But this passage is not just talking about eternal consequences. It's talking about earthly consequences. Because many times we walk around 
like the Tasmanian devil with a torrent of anger around us. And we don't understand why people keep their distance, why their guard is up, why people don't want to be around you. It's because when we hold on to our anger, we segregate ourselves. We are segregated to Gehenna. We are cast out of the circle of what's acceptable. We are sent to a place that is undesirable. As Rob Bell says, well, we continually find grace waiting to pick us up off the ground after we fall, have fallen. There are realities to our choices. That's a new a Gaelic version of fallen. Um, don't get so caught up in the eternal that you miss the temporal. The eternal is infinitely important. But we must remember that for everything that we do, there are earthly consequences. And for us to find full life in Christ, yes, it means an eternity in Christ, but it also means that we find life in the here and now. And that's one reason why we need to get a hold of our anger. So when we talk about the cure, not the band, when we talk about the cure for our anger, it's, first off, we, it has everything to do with giving up the control. And it's not control to serenity and not to another person. It's about making Jesus king. Making Jesus king of our lives. So the question is, how do we make Jesus king of our lives? Obeying is a good start, but it's not just about obeying. It's not just about following instructions. You know, uh, you know, ever do a craft? Anyone ever do a craft? Okay, good. We got, we got movement this time. Good. I picked a good question. Everyone do craft? Everyone have instructions for that craft? Anyone ever follow the instructions? Anyone ever make that, those instructions the king of your life? All nodding has stopped. Right. Exactly. We can follow instructions and not make it king of our lives. We can follow people's instructions. We can follow Jesus' instructions, but that doesn't mean he's king. It just means that we are, hey, sounds like a good idea. I'll be nice to other people. Something like that, right? I think the ultimate sign that Jesus is the king of our life is that we trust. We trust. And this is hard. Because inside of every single one of us, there's a little child who was one time scared, one time hurt, and one time let down. And that's the part of us that wants to hold control in those situations. It's, it's that child inside of us that says, uh-oh, I'm about to get hurt. I'm about to be scared. I'm about to be let down again. And I don't want that to happen. And so we need to trust Jesus. Give our lives to him. And trust that Jesus will do what Jesus does. And what does Jesus do? The Apostle Paul tells us. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. 
when we trust Jesus, we yield control. Because we know that Jesus is on the scene. But there are also steps we can take. Steps we can take. And uh, James, a book in the scriptures near the end of the New Testament, he lays out some great steps, some fantastic steps we can take. And he says, Dear, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So, first, it says, you need to be quick to listen. Quick to listen. And this is hard. Quick to listen is hard. Carl Rogers, psychologist, says, the great majority of us cannot listen. We find ourselves compelled to evaluate because listening is too dangerous. The first requirement is courage, and we do not always have it. To listen means we must be vulnerable because it means we actually have to hear what they're saying. We have to process, internalize, because it may actually affect our lives. And it can be hard to hear people. Why? Because we want to protect. But we need to open up our lives. Let Jesus be the protection. Knowing that whatever someone says, how true it may be, how hurtful it may be that it doesn't change who you are, to whom you belong, what your worth is in life. Because Jesus is our protection. See, so often when people are talking, we are not listening, we are formulating how we are going to reply. We're thinking about maybe the holes in the argument or how this isn't about me instead of hearing what is being said. As a Stanford professor, Jim Gardner, said to Jim Collins, who's a business writer, he says, it occurs to me, Jim, that you spend too much time trying to be interesting. Why don't you invest more time in being interested? And that's what we do. We don't always listen. So we're thinking about us rather than what's being said. And in moments of stress, that can be hard. But instead, we need to choose to be interested in what that person's saying. Even if they are putting the spoons in the wrong part of the cutlery drawer, we need to listen, not just get angry. As Jordan Peterson says, sometimes it takes a long time to figure out what someone genuinely means when they are talking. This is because... Often, they are articulating their ideas for the first time. They cannot do it without wandering down blind alleys or making contradictory or even nonsensical claims. And so listening isn't just about hearing words. Listening, hearing, is about hearing the person. We need to hear the person. We need to try and see what's going on inside them. What are they trying to articulate? It may mean asking clarifying questions. This is what we need to do. We need to see, not, just, not hear just the words, but hear the person. Now, I think if we do this first, this second one will kind of come up naturally. 
but still good, still good. We need to be slow to speak. Whoops. We need to be slow to speak. There we go. No, we're not. There we are. And, and this can be hard for the fast processors in the room. Do we have any fast processors? Yeah? And someone says something, you're just like, boom. You just shoot something out. I always admire those people who can, like, stop and, like, take a long time to think. Like that, right? But that rarely happens, for me at least. It's hard to take time personally. But when we are slow to speak, it gives time for us to listen, evaluate, and see a person before we react. Because once the words go out, once the action is done, we cannot take it back. And it doesn't mean that there isn't a response at some point in time. But because it's slow, it gives us the best chance to respond in the best way. It gives us time to lean on the wisdom of Christ. And depending on the situation, it gives us time to lean on the wisdom of others. Now amid these two, we don't want to blow by what James says at the very end. He talks about producing righteousness and how anger does not produce righteousness. So we need to do the things that do produce righteousness in our life because that will help us focus on Christ, make Jesus the king of our life. So some of those things, expressing praise to God, reading scripture, prayer, service, community. So that's thinking like, not like Mr. Rogers' community, but, you know, community in the, the body of Christ, the, the people who love and serve Christ, and hearing the truth. When we can hear the truth of others, it helps us produce righteousness in our life. Because there's no need for us to walk around in a tizzy all the time. There's no need for us to lash out, to freak out, to stress out. We need to focus on the things of God. So today... Let's admit the brokenness of anger and yield to Christ our King. Let's not harbor feelings, but instead be quick to listen, slow to speak, and then express it all in love. Today, let's focus our hearts upon the things that bring righteousness into our lives. Let's turn our hearts to Jesus. All right, question and response time. Any question, push back, want clarity on something? There's a mic, and uh, you can put your hand up. I don't know if there's any questions on Facebook. Let's see. All right, so let's get to the point. Point one. It's not just what's on the outside, but what's on the inside. Yeah, you may not be blowing up, but you could be imploding. It's Even if we say, Raka, you fool, you empty head, you nincompoop. In our head, it's, it's the same as coming out of our mouth. This is what Jesus articulating. It's about the sickness in our heart, not just what's expressed, but what's inside. Two, there are consequences. 
There are earthly consequences for what we do, what we say. They are having a lot of fun out there. Maybe you guys should scream. Let's, let's show them what it's like. Okay, one, two, three, go. Wow. So, welcome to our funeral today. There are earthly consequences for the things we do. And, and we don't want to be cast out to Gehenna because of our attitudes. Let it be for something worthwhile, at least, you know? And three, let's remember that Jesus is king. It's not us. It's Jesus. He's king of our lives. Let's pray. Lord, help us to yield our hearts to you. It's hard, but uh, you are the king. Help us to live that way. In Jesus' name, amen.